Well, good morning. Uh, I'm really grateful uh, for the opportunity to speak this morning. I think Justin used the words, he was excited. Um, I don't think I would use those exact words. Um, I think I might replace them with something else. I'm a little bit um, eh, terrified, I guess, to talk about this topic, if I'm being honest. Um, I almost did the message this morning, like, standing up. I told Justin it's because sometimes I don't know what to do, like, with my feet on this couch. and um, But one of the other reasons that I almost stood up is because then if I decided to run off the stage, I would already be in the standing position, and I could just get out of here. Um, I joked with him that I might just like have a separate message in my back pocket, and at the last second, just be like, I'm gonna talk about this instead. Um, about a month ago, somebody came up after service and asked me when I was gonna be speaking again, and they asked me what I was talking about. And I told him, I said, here's the deal. There's a good chance on that morning I'm going to, like, hit the panic button and just start talking about something else. So you have permission to call me out and to be like, hey, that's not what you said you were going to talk about. So I don't know if they're here, but um, I'm going to stick to this for now. Um, I am just feeling the weight of this topic. Um, I'm going to talk about doubt this morning. Um, And I'm going to share some personal connection with doubt, and that's hard. Um, And if I were choosing, uh, I would rather share a personal connection to something else. Um, I kind of picture like if I had the option to play like this message game show, um, and I would leave the doubt card on the board every time. I could see myself being like, I'll take restoration for $300. I'll take struggling with parenting for $400, but I would just let somebody else take that doubt card um, because it feels real overwhelming. Um, And as Justin mentioned, it's not something that we talk about a lot. Um, I grew up in the church, and I don't remember ever really hearing doubt addressed. I remember hearing messages and topics around fear and anxiety and worry, Um, but we kind of tend to put doubt in this, like, category of its own, like the shove it under the rug category, and, like, we we know it's there, but we kind of just leave it over here um, and kind of just let it hide, and so I feel like we need to talk about it. And, um, and getting ready for today, I asked a few people if they could just share with me their perception, their perspective, their experience of what um, doubt looked like, how it was addressed within the church, maybe how they grew up, or how they see it just kind of addressed in the church as a whole. And so as we get started, I want to share with you just a couple of things that they sent me. I'm not going to share everything. I got some fascinating things back. Um, but I picked just a couple that I want to share with you this morning. Um, The first person, this is what she said. She said, growing up in the church, if we shared our doubts with a leader, we were asked questions. Questions like, what kind of music are you listening to? What kind of movies are you watching? What sin is in your heart that you haven't confessed yet? Because surely, they would tell us, those are the things causing you to doubt. She said, we were also taught that Jesus didn't sit with us and welcome our questions and our doubts. If doubts are present, then we were told we must not have a relationship with him. Somebody else told me, he said, growing up in the church, I was taught that if you are doubting God, there is sin in your life, and that sin is separating you from him. 
The last one I want to read to you, he said, I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but if I had to describe it, I would say that we have a serious misunderstanding of what our relationship to doubt is. How much more convincing would the gospel be if it were heralded by people who were honest to say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think we'd be surprised by the number of unbelievers that we would come face to face with on a Sunday if we would simply be honest about it. I feel like doubt is much more pervasive than believers are willing to admit. So it's a hard topic, um, but I think this morning that we can address it together. Um, Again, it feels a bit overwhelming to be the one sitting up here with the mic to do that but it feels like something that's necessary and that's needed. It feels like um, maybe I'm not the only one who has wrestled with some of this and who has asked some of these questions. And as I processed and really wrestled with this message, I kind of got to a point where I realized if I can sit up here and, and share some of this and say, me too, this morning, um, then I feel like it's worth the risk and worth my own vulnerability if I can do that. Um, because maybe I've asked some of the same questions as doubt has risen up in you, some of the same things that you've asked, maybe I've asked them too, like, am I allowed to say this in church? Am I allowed to ask this in church? Am I allowed to think this? And for me, like, this is my job. Am I allowed to ask this? Because, like, believing is pretty much my job. And so, what do I do with that? And as I wrestled through preparing, I continued to think, I know that there's a better way to talk about doubt. I know that somebody could get up here and do it better than me and do it more eloquently and just do it differently. But where I came to, the place that I settled was I think what I need to do this morning is just to share with you my experience, my own struggle with doubt. I don't think that you want me to tell you somebody else's story this morning. And I feel like sharing my own story is better than me giving some kind of um, theory or theology on doubt. And so I want to do that. And then I also want to look at how Jesus responded on the pages of Scripture when he came face to face with somebody's doubt. I'll start by admitting that I never understood doubt. Um, I, I never understood how somebody could go from believing God and following him to doubting I just didn't get it. I would hear people say, I just walked away from the faith, or I'm just doubting that any of this is true. And I would kind of be like, what? Why? Like, did something happen? I need you to tell me, like, the story. Like, was there a trauma? Was there a crisis? Like, what would make you do that? I just, I never understood how you could just go from believing and then just, like, sitting in doubt. And I didn't understand it until I did this very thing. This surfaced in my life about three years ago. It was over Christmas break. Um, I had the opportunity to get away for the weekend and spend some time writing. Um, I love to write. That's kind of one of my passions. And so I was really excited about the opportunity to just kind of shut the world out for a couple of days and write. 
My husband was gonna take care of our four kids and my friend had been gracious enough to let me stay at her house while they were gone for the holidays and so I had big expectations um, for what this time away was gonna look like. And so as I was driving up Signal Mountain, I was just kind of preparing my heart and you know, just praying that it would be a fruitful couple of days away that I would have the opportunity to write. And um, I was in no way prepared for what I was gonna step into. It wasn't at all what I had expected. Um, as I got to my friend's house, at first I was kind of shocked just you know, by the quiet, like I have four kids and it was just right after Christmas, so it's kind of coming out of just chaos. And I sat there and I'm like, it is so quiet in this house. Like, I don't even know if I can write when it's this quiet. But as I sat there, what I started to realize is that I don't want to write anymore. And it wasn't one of those moments where kind of writer's block comes. I've had plenty of those where it's just like, I don't know what to write. That wasn't it. I sat in this space and I was like, I don't want to write. And it's hard for me to take kind of all of this flooding of emotion and what I felt um, and, and put it in just a couple of words to tell you today, but I'm going to try. Because what I realized in that moment is I didn't want to write because all of a sudden, I was doubting that everything I believed was true. I had never stepped into that place and it caught me off guard, but I started to just be pelted with these questions and it, I didn't know what to do with them because as fast as I could process them, another question would come. What if God isn't really who I've come to know him to be? What if this is all made up and we've just created this Jesus to help us navigate a broken world? And what if I've, I chose to follow when I was five, but that was just childlike faith. And how in the world am I supposed to believe in a God that I've not even seen anyways? And just like that, I was overwhelmed with some deep doubt. And just like that, my little weekend riding trip quickly changed and shifted gears from what I thought it was gonna be. And the weight of sitting in that, maybe if you have experienced some of that doubt, um, you know what that's like. It's hard to explain because it, I felt mad and I felt sad and I felt confused and I felt frustrated all at the same time and I didn't know what to do with it. And I started to realize for the first time in my life just how much my feelings had impacted my faith. And I started to realize that over all of these years, I had always had feelings to back up my faith. I remember the feeling of being five years old and wanting to follow Jesus. I remember the feeling of walking down the aisle at our Christmas Eve service. I was wearing my homemade um, sweatshirt dress that my mom had made that had like a puffy paint snowman on it. And I remember walking down that aisle and telling my pastor that I wanted to follow Jesus and that I wanted to get baptized. And then I remember growing up, I remember the feeling of having to discover a faith of my own. That feeling of having to really choose to lean in and trust when it was hard. I remember the feeling when I had to surrender what I thought my life would look like and trust that God was still in control when everything else felt out of control. And so I knew the feelings. I loved the feelings. But what was I supposed to do when the feelings aren't there? I was forced to look at that for the first time in my life and all of the thoughts kind of came to surface. What does this mean? If I don't have the feelings, does that mean I don't believe in God anymore? Do I have to feel it to believe it? And if I choose to believe it, 
but I don't feel it, <clears throat> wouldn't that be pretending? And is this how you navigate doubt? And it felt like with doubt, I started pulling this thread and it felt like everything was unraveling and I didn't wanna keep pulling it because I was afraid of what might happen if I did. And so I wanted to just kind of tuck it back up under somewhere and just pretend that it wasn't there and not address it and not keep pulling it because I felt shame and I felt like some kind of betrayer and I felt like I can't tell God. Like, I don't even know if he's there, but if he is, he would be real mad. I feel like he's gonna be really sad. And so what am I supposed to do? Unfortunately, I had created this kind of isolation bubble for myself for this weekend, and so I had no distractions. I wasn't even at my house. I had told all of my friends and family that I wasn't gonna be reachable through text, and so I had literally created this like bubble, and I was gonna have to deal with it, and I didn't want to, but I didn't have any way out. And so in that moment, as I'm kind of processing all of this, like I have no distractions, like what am I supposed to do, clean her house? Like she left it clean. And I realized I, there's only one thing that I know to do. I'm gonna take a nap. I'm just gonna fall asleep. Like I will will myself to just sleep this away. <laughs> and so I literally laid on her couch and I was like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And I fell asleep and I slept for as long and as hard as I could. And I think like part of the reason was I thought maybe I'll wake up and like I just forgot about it. Like, or I wake up and it was just gone. And so I woke up and I kind of like opened my eyes like, ah, oh, it's still there. The nap didn't work. So now what am I supposed to do? And so I started to journal and I started to write and I started to like kind of pray a little bit, but the irony of like, talking to somebody that like you're also doubting is there, so it just felt weird. And I finally got to a place where I was like, okay, I've gotta just like put this before God. I've gotta at least just like say some of this out loud and then just see what happens. And so I started and I was like, okay God, like I came here to do something this weekend and I don't wanna do it. And I don't know if you're there and I'm sorry. And I feel like everything I've believed is unraveling, and I'm sorry, and I really don't know what to do, and I don't know what else to say, and I feel like I could walk away from all of it in this moment, and that feels weird, and it feels wrong to say that, but it's just where I am. What am I supposed to do? So I kind of just like said it and then sat there like, okay, now what? And I just waited. I don't really know what I was waiting for. I was waiting for something. <laughs> but in that moment, a couple of minutes passed, and I felt like in that space, right in that moment, God turned my eyes to two words that I have written, not written, but marked on my wrist. And they're the words, even if. And he turned my eyes to these words, and I started to remember why I had put them there in the first place. I had chosen to have these words put on my arm because after about 10 years of wrestling through a season, it's a season that I still am in, but after about 10 years of it, I had finally gotten to a place where I said to God, okay, even if you're not gonna answer this prayer, I'm gonna trust you. And even if this is gonna be my story forever, I believe you are good. And so God, even if, 
I'm yours. And now in this moment, I'm staring at these words and I felt like a liar and I felt shame and I felt like I was a fool and I was gonna have these words on my arm forever to remind me of just how foolish I had been. And I was certain that this is the reason that God was turning my eyes to these words. I was certain that he was whispering to me, hey, Amber, what about that? What about your promise? What about this promise to trust me even if? And I sat there, and this was exactly the reason that I felt like I couldn't share it with him because I had assumed, and I was assuming in this moment that that's what he was saying. Because I had assumed that if I said anything, he would make me sit in my shame and in my guilt and I didn't wanna feel the shame, and yet here I was staring at these words, feeling exactly that. And before I tell you the rest of that moment, I'll leave you with my assumptions for just a minute. But I wanna take our attention onto the pages of scripture where we see Jesus confronted with somebody's doubt, head on, face to face, and I wanna look at what he did in that moment before I tell you what he did in mine. You might have somebody's name come in to your mind when I say doubt and I say we're gonna talk about a certain person. <laughs> I know for me, uh, I grew up in Sunday school hearing all about doubting Thomas. Poor guy, I don't think I learned anything else about him other than that he doubted. What a label, what a legacy to have. <laughs> Thomas is the guy who got the label He's the guy that we kind of put that label on. But if we look, I think we could see a thread of doubt in so many disciples and so many of their stories because we remember Peter and his bold faith to step out onto the water, but he also doubted and got afraid. We remember um, the accounts of all the times that the disciples got to see Jesus do these big miracles and healings and feeding people we remember their faith grew after they saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and some bread. But remember on the front end of that story, they had looked at it and they had totally doubted that it was enough. We remember their bold faith for being willing to follow him everywhere, but when he was arrested, they doubted that he was still in control and they ran away. And there was nobody outside of the tomb three days later to see if he was alive. So I think there's a story of doubt within each of their stories, but Thomas is the one who we just kind of put that label on. But I have become so grateful for Thomas and his willingness to be upfront with his doubt. I've become grateful for that because it helps us navigate ours, and more importantly, it helps us see how Jesus responded to him in his moment of doubt. And so I want to take a closer look at John 20 this morning. I want to jump in and look at the passage of Scripture where doubting Thomas, where he gets his name. And to give us context for where we're jumping in, this is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. And so this is after the disciples have had um, plenty of time walking with Jesus face-to-face seeing him change other people's lives and, and seeing and experiencing him changing theirs. We have their own words of how their lives were changed. We have their own words of how the story didn't end how they hoped and imagined, how they had to watch their savior die 
and wondered what was going to happen, and then how the unexpected had happened, and the man they saw die three days later, they heard he was alive again. But even with this, we don't see the disciples out celebrating, out being bold. Instead, Scripture tells us that they were huddled behind locked doors, afraid. And so this is where we're going to jump in. We have John's account of this whole thing. And in John 20, 19 and 20, this is what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus had shown up, and this changed the story once again. This changed everything for them. But we read in verse 24 that Thomas wasn't with the disciples. I don't know where Thomas was, but talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Thomas missed out on this moment. And so we read in the next verse that the other disciples told Thomas, they told him, we have seen the Lord so the disciples, they're going to fill Thomas in on what they saw. And you can just imagine their body language and their excitement as they tell him, we saw him. We got to see it. We got to touch it. We touched his wounds, Thomas. He's alive. This changes everything for us. And then we get to see how Thomas responds. He's not jumping for joy, celebrating with them. He doesn't like chest bump and high five and like give them a hug. Instead, we see that he listens to his friends, and then in verse 25, he says this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas just kind of puts it out there. He's like, guys, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just telling you, unless I get the opportunity to touch and to see for myself, I don't believe it. Basically, after their excitement of, of telling him this news, he basically says, yeah, I doubt it. He wasn't at a place where he could believe what they were saying, and so he just put it out there and told it like it was. And it's really easy to just kind of focus in on this story and think, geez, Thomas, doubt much? But if we pause and we think about it, this is such a huge thing for Thomas, because he didn't just go along with the crowd. He didn't just pretend to believe because his friends were. He didn't just kind of try harder and, and just muster up belief that he didn't have. He exposed his doubt to the disciples. And don't you just wonder how they responded to Thomas? Did they respond to him with empathy and compassion and tell him, we know how hard this must be for you? We wish you had been there. We wish you had been able to see it for yourself, Thomas. We're sorry. We're sorry you weren't there. Maybe they tried to guilt him into believing it and give him a hard time because they weren't believing. He wasn't believing their words. Are you serious, Thomas? Like, our words. Like, you're not gonna take our words for it. We saw it. We touched it. Just believe it. Just believe us. Or maybe they tried to use guilt and to go, what would Jesus think, Thomas? If he knew that you just said that, what would he think about your doubt? In verse 26, we read that a whole week went by 
And we have no idea what that week was like for Thomas or how the disciples responded to him for a whole week, which I actually think is really significant. The fact that John doesn't tell us how the disciples responded, I think reminds us that how other people respond to our doubt isn't what matters. How Jesus responds to that doubt, that's what matters, and that's what we do have the opportunity to get to see in Thomas's story. And it's so important because if we continue to read and just focus on Thomas and his doubt, we're gonna miss it. And so as we read, we're gonna shift our focus and not look at just Thomas and his doubt, but look at Jesus and his response to Thomas's doubt. So we read in uh, verse 26 and 27, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. You can believe, I bet Thomas followed those disciples everywhere. He's like, I'm not gonna miss it if this happens again. And though the doors were locked once again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, and here's the moment where Thomas comes face to face with Jesus. Here's the moment. How is Jesus gonna respond to Thomas? I don't know what you would put in that assumption, but there were some assumptions that I could easily make when I look at this story. And I imagine he could show up several different ways. Maybe Thomas would get like passive aggressive Jesus. And Jesus walks in and doesn't really say anything to Thomas, but basically his eyes say it all. And he's looking at him going, what do you think now, Thomas the doubter? And in that moment, Thomas would know exactly where he stood with Jesus, pushed aside and no longer welcome in his presence. Maybe Jesus shows up and he's angry Jesus and he just lays into Thomas and he just reprimands him and he says, how could you doubt Thomas after all you've seen me do and all that we've walked through? How could you doubt? How could your faith be so small? And again, in that moment, Thomas would know where he stood with Jesus, shamed and judged and not living up to his standards. Or maybe Jesus shows up and he compares him to the other disciples and he points and he says, Thomas, why couldn't you believe like them? Their faith is better. They believed. Be like them, Thomas. And Thomas would walk away knowing that his value in Jesus's eyes would always be found in comparison. And if he was living up to the faith of those around him. And lastly, and maybe this is the harshest way that Jesus could have shown up, and he just ignores him altogether. And he comes in and he speaks those words, peace be with you. And he says them kind of like, peace be with you, you, like these believers over here. Thomas, stay back here. No peace for you, Thomas. No peace for you. There's peace for those who chose to believe, but there's no peace for the doubters, Thomas. And Thomas would know again where he stood with Jesus, knowing that his doubt was gonna define him. It was really easy for me to list out those options for how Jesus might show up on the scene and respond to Thomas, because if I'm being honest, that's how I assumed he would respond to me as well. One of those, if not all of those, at some point. But what we see 
is that Jesus doesn't respond with any of those. He doesn't show up and compare him or make him sit in his doubt and his shame, show him that he's disappointed or that he's frustrated and mad. Instead, we see in this moment how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt. And in verse 27, this is where we see it. It says, then he says to Thomas, the message translation of this verse says, and then he focused his attention on Thomas. And he says to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus tells Thomas to see and to touch his wounds. Thomas had told the disciples, if I'm gonna believe, this is what it's gonna take. And Jesus gave him that very opportunity. And there's one verse, there's several words in that passage that I've skimmed over so many times because my focus in reading this passage has always been on Thomas and his doubt and his weak faith. And I felt like, how could you doubt, Thomas? You saw him, you walked with him, I've never seen him and I'm not doubting Thomas. I guess my faith's better than yours. And I think I just assumed that Jesus was interacting with him in this moment in the same way, as if he was kind of like, fine, if you're not gonna believe like everybody else, Thomas, go ahead and touch it, go ahead and see it so we can all move on. I've made this moment about Thomas getting to see and touch his doubt so he could believe, but this is where we see Jesus respond. And there's three words that I think are the most powerful words in this whole interaction. We're gonna put them back up on the screen in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. And can't you just imagine that if he's gonna say those words that he also put his hand out. See my hands, Thomas. He doesn't ignore him or shame him or guilt trip him or compare him to everybody else. Instead, he extends a hand to Thomas. And in the most beautiful, most simple way, these three words are the picture of how Jesus responds to us in our doubt. He extends a hand. He meets us right where we are without shame and without judgment, without disappointment. And can you just picture this moment, what it must have been like for Thomas to have the opportunity to see and to touch, to face his doubt head on. And I just imagine that this is one of the most tender scenes in all of scripture. I just imagine this hand extended. And it's after this moment after Jesus has said, see my hands, and given him the opportunity to touch, that Jesus says something else, and it's here that we see Jesus doesn't shame him for his doubt, but he also doesn't just shove it under the rug and ignore it. He addresses it, and he says to Thomas in verse 27, stop doubting and believe. And as we read those words, I think we have to read those words in the context of what has just happened. We can't just pull them out. Because if we do that, I think we would assume that Jesus was talking to Thomas in a really mad, condescending voice, in a tone of voice that says, stop doubting and believe, Thomas. But would he have done that after he had just given this invitation? He'd be justified to. But do you think after he extends a hand, offers Thomas the space to touch and to see. Do you think that those would be the words that came out of his voice in that tone? 
Do you think after this moment that he would yell at Thomas and tell him, stop doubting and believe? I don't think that's how it went. I think that Jesus said those words to Thomas, looking him straight in the eye. And I think he said them low enough where Thomas knew that these words were meant just for him. But I think he said it loud enough where the other disciples, who surely were somewhere in the room listening in, I think Jesus said these words loud enough so that they would see and hear how he was responding to Thomas's doubt as well. And I think it was in that moment that he whispered, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. It's a tender picture of what Jesus would do when confronted with doubt, face to face with doubt. And in that moment, Jesus knew that Thomas would need to choose either doubt or belief, and I think part of the reason that Jesus gave him this choice is because he knew what it was like for Thomas to just sit in that doubt. I know what it feels like. And I know the shame and the frustration and confusion. And so he speaks an invitation to Thomas to, talk, to stop doubting and to believe. And maybe Jesus said this to Thomas knowing that doubt would be something that he would always struggle with in his story, or maybe this was gonna be the only time but either way, he extended his hand to Thomas, and as he did, he extended an invitation to believe again. He extended an invitation to believe that this wound that you see in my hand, Thomas, it's for you too. I loved you enough to die for you, and it was almost as if Jesus was saying, let's try it again, Thomas. The invitation is the same as it's always been. Your doubt doesn't make me retract my hand when face to face with it. Jesus extends a hand in our doubt. And this isn't just how he responds on the pages of scripture to those first disciples because they got special treatment. This is how he responds to our doubt as well. This is how he responded to mine. I wanna take you back to that moment where I was sitting there staring at these words on my wrist and all the assumptions I had made for why God had turned my attention there and the shame that I felt. I felt like he was reminding me of my big promises that I would never live up to, but as I sat there, I realized that's not what he was saying at all. In fact, I was shocked that what he seemed to be whispering to my heart was completely the opposite of that. Because as I sat there and as I stared at these words, I felt like he whispered in that moment, Amber, even if, even if you doubt me, I'm gonna be right here. Even if you walk away and even if you wrestle and you question, I am gonna be right here, even if. He didn't judge me, he didn't shame me, he didn't get his feelings hurt, he didn't lay on guilt, he didn't tell me to be like everybody else. He spoke two words, the two words that I had spoken to him that had had such an impact on my life. He spoke to me and said, even if you doubt, I will stay right here with you. And in that moment, as he extended his hand, I also felt the same invitation extended to me that he extended to Thomas. Amber, you can stop doubting 
and believe. The invitation is still the same. Your doubt doesn't change it. And I came to a point, I had to wrestle this out. It was not in that moment and it was not in that day. I had to wrestle it out. And I came to a place where I was able to just utter the words of Mark 9, 24 and say, I believe, Lord, but please help my unbelief. And I understood the weight of the unbelief completely differently now. This experience totally changed the way that I saw doubt and that I sat with other people in doubt. I started to remember all of the stories that I had heard of people who had walked away or who had sat in doubt and I saw them differently now. I saw them differently because I was them. I wasn't somehow excluded from doubt like I thought I was. I understood doubt in a whole new way. And if I were gonna choose where I could end the story, I would say, and that is my story of doubt. And I did it one time, and only one time. But that's not the story. And I have continued to, to feel and to find that doubt creeps its way back into my heart and into my mind. And, and when it does, I start to think, surely it was okay one time, but it's not okay again. And surely the, the same grace isn't gonna be extended if I do this again. But I'm telling you, every single time, I have experienced an extended hand of grace. And I've come to be more and more grateful for Thomas, who was bold enough to just put his, his doubt out there and to tell his friends, because I've started to realize we need to be like Thomas. We need to be willing to acknowledge our doubt with each other and not try to shove it and not try to hide from it. But we need to acknowledge that this is something that I'm walking through right now. And then on the other side of that, if somebody is brave enough to share their doubt with us, it's our job to show grace as well. It's not our job to try to convince them to believe again. That's not what we're supposed to do. I think our job is to help them see how Jesus would respond and how he does respond to their doubt. I think it's our job when somebody entrusts us with their doubt to help them see that we have a God who's not afraid of their questions. As I was preparing for today, I came across something that, um, there's a singer, songwriter, John Foreman, um, and he, he said something that just, he said it so well, and I wanna read it to you. It said, he, this is what he said, I don't believe in a God who's afraid of my questions. I don't believe in a God who's afraid of me because a God that cannot be questioned doesn't sound like God at all. Part of believing is to doubt, to ask, to seek, to knock, and ultimately to find. And I'm so grateful that when we doubt and when we ask and when we seek, that Jesus extends his hand to us not to grab us in and to make us try to believe something by force or to pull us in, not at all. He extends it to extend grace. And I think this is what Thomas felt in that moment because I just imagine him standing there face to face with Jesus looking at those scars, looking at that invitation to stop doubting and to believe again. And I think Thomas experienced this because the last words that we have in this interaction are the words of Thomas. In verse 28, it says that Thomas said, my Lord and my God. 
He saw him for who he really was. I want you to know this morning that he extends the same hand to you. He extends it to remind you and to show you this is what I think about you. You see my hands? You see that mark? I did this for you. I love you that much. Even if you doubt, it doesn't change the way that I feel about you. He extends a hand to show you his grace and to show you what he thinks about you, to show you what you're worth to him. As I wrestled through kind of just deciding what's the best way to wrap up this message, I really wanted to just create a space, just a couple of minutes where we could sit in the reality, where we could rest in the freedom that, that this is how he sees us and that we can be honest with him and that when we do, we're met with grace. And so Michael, he's gonna come out in just a minute and sing a song that just so powerfully helps us understand that we can be honest with God. This song is a conversation between us and God, and the first part starts with us, maybe words speaking to God some things that we feel like we wanna say, but we don't know if we can, and then the song switches and it becomes a response back from God. And he starts with, dear child, just this picture of how he sees us. And we see the same heart reflected that we see in Thomas's story that I've seen in my own. And words of this song says, dear child, I'm not scared of imperfections or the questions in your head. I saw you wrestle with every how and every why, and I was right there listening. And so as we sit in this space, as we listen to these words, would you know that this is how God sees you? Would you rest in the truth? And would you know this morning that he extends his hand to you? A hand that says, even if you doubt, even if you walk away, I'll be right here and I will keep my hand extended to you and I will keep this mark visible so that you can see it so that you know how much I love you. Would we rest in that truth this morning? Would you pray with me? God, I'm so grateful for who you are. Thank you for just such a clear picture through the story of Thomas, for how you met him in his doubt. Thank you for how you met me and mine. Thank you that in a way that only you could do, you've stripped away the shame that so easily is associated with our doubt. And God, this morning, I just wanna pray for somebody in this room who maybe they have this picture of you as passive, aggressive Jesus, and they picture you frustrated and mad. Or maybe somebody that has a picture of this angry Jesus just yelling at them feeling disappointed and feeling mad. Or maybe they picture you as always comparing them to somebody else, to these people that they can never feel like they live up to. And God, would you strip that away this morning and would you help them see you for who you really are? A God who sits with us in our doubts, who extends a hand to us in our doubts. 
who reminds us of the price that you paid for us, even when we doubt it all. Thank you for a love like that. Thank you for a love that we will never be able to wrap our minds around, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. God, we love you. I am so grateful for this truth this morning. And as we sit in this moment, would we rest in the truth of these words? inside my Try 
Child, you can love.